You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. The big story on action. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco, and it's so good to be here after a couple of weeks away. We have a great show for you this week. Joining me in just a moment will be Lisa Baird. Lisa Baird is the founder of LPB Advisors, and she's also a board member, sits on um, a board director, excuse me, and sits on several boards. Uh, You'll also hear from Sherry Morrison, our Lifestyle Watch contributor. And Sherry's going to be talking to Kareem Rosser. Kareem is an author, he's a financial analyst, and he's the treasurer for Work to Ride, which is an equestrian program here in Philadelphia. And be sure to stay with us at the very end of the show. You'll see a segment from Carol Eggert, our Military Watch contributor with Comcast NBC Universal. So now I'd like to welcome to the show, Lisa Baird. Well, hi, good morning, everyone. And nice to be with you, Sue. Hi, Lisa. It's great to have you. Uh, tell, tell us where you're joining us from. Well, I'm, I'm joining you from my home in Connecticut, where I am right now. Tomorrow, okay. we'll be traveling again. Um, but right now, it's it's pretty nice time to be here. Yeah, good. Um, we probably share weather being on the East Coast. It's a little gloomy today, but um, that's okay. We're gearing up for the holidays. That's right. So I wanted to start off the interview and have you talk a little bit about your life um, growing up in Aruba which is you're my first guest in 10 years who was born in Aruba. Um, And tell me first, tell me a little bit about the community there. What was that like? Um, You know, it was at the time, um, it was the biggest expat community in the world on this tiny little island of Aruba. And that was because um, the company at the time, Esso, um, in the oil business back then, today it's energy, Um, had built a massively um, modern refinery. And Venezuela, of course, was one of the, uh, it was one of the top, I think, five nations of exporting fuel. So it was a refinery. And my dad, um, you know, and my mom moved there in the 1950s. And uh, we began a life of uh, an expat abroad. And and I know that you eventually moved to New York, um, Long Island. How old were you when you did that? I moved um, at that time. I was just beginning middle school. So I moved to uh, a community called Manhasset. Um, my my father's family was from Long Island and I moved there and went to middle school and high school and then graduated. Um, and so, yeah, so I've been, I lived all over. Yeah, that must have been hard though. I'm thinking, you know, middle school for girls, I would say especially, is a very tough time. Well, I think the difference is you're coming, first of all, Anytime you move in middle school, it's hard. And then you're moving from a very, you know, kind of a bubble of an international community into the U.S. It was my very first time living in the United States. And actually adjusting to the U.S. culture was, that was pretty big for me. It was very difficult. So I'm trying to be a, you know, a seventh grader and and adjust to U.S. culture, which I didn't really know about. And, um, you know, um, it was it was definitely a challenging time, but very, very glad I got to do my high school in, in the U.S. 
Yeah. Would you say that that transition helped with your ability to acclimate to new um, situations, new places, new people? Yeah. You know, um, I talked to my, my kids today did not move anywhere. I moved, I've lived maybe 20 different places in my life. And I know I've really traveled and that isn't usual today. You know, that it isn't usual. And my kids have mostly grown up here in my hometown and now they live quite close to me, which as a mom, I'm very grateful for, but I kind of push them to go out of their comfort zone and go live in another city. And I do think it breeds independence. Mm-hmm. It breeds confidence. And for me personally, particularly in my life and global multinational and then uh, corporations and then in global sports early on, I was completely sensitive to um, international culture and what it's like, um, how the perceptions of Americans are, which are not always positive. Yes, that's right. Um, I know that one of the things um, mom and dad instilled in you was a love of reading and and books. And I think that's always a great foundation um, for any young person. How has that impacted your your career, having that love of reading and, and books? Well, first of all, there's three things. I mean, I look, it is uh, social media and the you know, the 24 seven nature of news coverage and everything. I mean, there's nothing that is a great thing. We have access to news and to development and to information at our fingertips now, Mm -hmm. which wasn't true with books, but um, the ability to sit down with an author, whether it's nonfiction or fiction, to sit down with an author and really learn the story they're trying to tell the world they're trying to portray through their um, eyes and through their ears and through their their pen. It's really something that I hope that people um, continue to value like I do. I think book sales are up. I'm not sure. But um, one of the traditions in my family is, um, and it's always been since my kids were born, I always gave them a book for Christmas. And it's my favorite thing to shop for. So I went out Saturday and I bought them three books and who knows if they'll like them. But I continue to push that written paper narrative over. Yeah. I I think it will always be with us. It's just too unique and, you know, special. And, you know, it's, it's, it's such an outlet for people, I think, different from the World Wide Web. Um, Do you ever have a, a thought about writing a book yourself? I have had a very interesting career. I have had that thought. And, um, I would say for me, it would be, I would have to figure out the right format for it or the right way to do it because I wouldn't want it to be about me. I would want it to be, I had the privilege and I really mean the privilege of being in places at points in time where I got a first row glimpse of kind of what was happening in the world. Not every major event, but sometimes major events. Mm-hmm. And um I think it would be somehow about having that ability to have seen and participated so many kind of monumental events and having that front row seat. Then a lot of the times I was just an onlooker, not a participant, but sometimes I was a participant. Yeah. Well, just so our viewers know, you've had a vast career and you worked, first of all, you went to Penn State. Was that a good fit for you? I did. I went to Penn State. I was in State College. I went undergrad and graduate school. I got MBA from the Smeal School of Business. And it started a a love affair with that university. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've been involved in it, um, not only as um, kind of I go there, talk to students on campus, I've recruited there. Um, I've been a donor, very happy to be a donor. And, And last about a year ago, I was really um, honored that the president of the university um, uh, honored me with the Penn State Alumni of the Year, which was, was yeah, I felt like, well, wait a minute, I'm not sure I want my, you know, contributions to be over, but nonetheless, it was very nice. (laughs) And how about the football uh, program? Are you, do you go back for the games? I, I, do and I do I haven't been back in a while um but I'm following them very closely this year and they are headed for the Rose Bowl which I'm I and many Pennsylvania um uh, uh citizens are very happy about I think yes definitely um so you worked at 
Procter & Gamble, IBM, the NFL, uh, the Olympics, and most recently the um, Women's Soccer League, the National, National Women's Soccer, Soccer League. League. Yes. yes. So I guess first, I, I when I looked at your career, you know, as a whole, I wondered what drives you to keep moving. What's exciting about starting over with an organization or a company all over again and continuing to do that? Well, sometimes it's not exciting. Sometimes it's like it's really hard. challenging. Yes. I, I, you know, there, I have to admit, I, you know, I have several friends. In fact, one of um, my friends was a, a gentleman who started, he went to Penn State, got his MBA the same year I did. He went to Procter & Gamble. I went to Procter & Gamble. He stayed at Procter & Gamble for his whole life, for his whole career. And then he became someone who did as well. It's very different from what you've done. It's very different. And there's sometimes I've looked over there with envy because, you know, you get to develop this deep well of knowledge and comfort and confidence. And for a lot of reasons, some professional and some personal, I kept throwing myself into situations where I literally had to learn entire industries very quickly. And it was challenging, um, you know, and and there were different reasons at different times. Um, it's funny, the one of the most an interesting times was um, when I went to General Motors from um, marketing. I was in consumer packaged goods and healthcare, and that was my first foray into a very complicated industry and a big multinational corporation. And one of the reasons that I was recruited and went there was because the chairman of Procter and Gamble, John Smale, was, uh, was he had grown up at at P and G and became chairman. And he stepped on and became chairman of General Motors and rescued it from um, near bankruptcy. And he was very, very much a part of recruiting me to go there. And it was a very personal reason that I ended up going there. It was it was a, a good career move. And I ended up staying there for five years um, and learning so much. But that one was one because an executive that I admired so much and had early on influenced my career, although I didn't know him personally at P&G, um, I had a conversation with him and he was quite instrumental in getting me to take that leap. Mm. Would you have considered him a mentor? His I think many people have considered John. He may be one of the quietest, humblest um, CEOs of all time. There's a new book out about him. And in the P&G world, it's getting quite a bit of buzz because we realize how profound his influence was. So he wasn't a personal mentor, but I would say, I, like many others who grew up under his tutelage, would have counseled, would have called him a mentor. But that one conversation that he likely never remembered had a very, very influential impact mm. on my life. Yeah, that happens quite often. Mm -hmm, doesn't it? Yeah, brief conversations. Um, I want to share a quote. You said, what led to my success was a consistent, innate sense of obligation to help people. And this gave me the confidence that I needed. And what I wanted to ask you is, um, I think that's often the, the the mindset of women, right? We care about community and everyone around that things are being taken care of. Did you feel you ever did that to the detriment of your own well-being? Absolutely. And I think that's a very honest answer. I, I think, I don't think it's the philosophy, but maybe how far I took it sometimes. So the philosophy, and there's different styles of leadership, right? They're just one. I have always been attracted to the concept of the servant leader. John Smale, um, mm -hmm. Paul Tagliabue was a servant leader commissioner. He was and is a, a very close personal mentor to me. A gentleman by the name of Larry Probst, um, the chairman of Electronic Arts. Again, I worked with him at the NFL and he was instrumental in recruiting me to the Olympic movement. Um, so there is that concept of the servant leader that I think is one that I absolutely um, find incredibly appealing. But I think sometimes you can take that dial and go and go too far. And there are times when I when I've done that. In fact, one time I actually took a step back and took a year off to spend some time with my son. Um, he needed me for that year. And um, it was a decision that I don't regret, but I knew that I needed to be home for that year. And you're a little terrified at, at stepping off the corporate track. But um, I was so pleased because I got the chance to 
be with he and my other two daughters, my two daughters in a way that I wouldn't have had to be wholly present with them. So I think sometimes it's making sure the dial is there and protecting your health is critically important for women. Yes. Do you, would, do you think we ever get to a place where we've learned that one particular lesson and we're doing it well, or do we always kind of you know, fall back into the imbalance. You know what I wonder, and and I don't know this for a fact, but I would throw it out to the listeners and Sue, even to you. I have a hypothesis that women are able to pivot at moments in their career a little bit easier than men. It's just a hypothesis. But I have pivoted from full-time, all-consuming, you know, uh, chief executive officer work into an advisory role, being on boards. Um, I've just uh, come off of a successful exit of one of the companies I was on the board of private equity. It's a very different role being an advisor. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, I wonder, my hypothesis again, is that women find it easier to kind of be a little bit more chameleon-like about that decision where, um, you know, I'm not so sure men do. I think men struggle. I, a lot of my friends um, who I've grown up with in business. One particularly close friend is a, he's a, he's been a CEO at a, a couple public companies and he's always talking about being relevant and being relevant. I'm like, well, yeah, but there's so many different ways to be relevant. You don't have to be the leader, the titular, you can be relevant by being um, incredibly accessible and coaching people and advising people. And mm-hmm. I do think women do that. Yeah. And also behind this, you know, not being the face, the front face, there's there's relevancy happening behind closed doors, you know, everywhere. So it's an interesting, interesting hypothesis. Um, This is, we're going to go into our first break and we will be back with Lisa Baird. We are CHOP and we can't wait to show you around. We're the nation's first children's hospital. Now, a care network with more than 50 locations that continues to expand. Three state-of-the-art research buildings with 1.5 million square feet of space. We have grown from 12 beds 165 years ago to nearly 600 beds and one of the best children's hospitals in the world. We have a level one trauma center 11 floors of patient units, more than 20 operating rooms, first-of-its-kind delivery unit for babies with birth defects, a separate cardiac operative and catheterization suite, and places to learn, like our internationally recognized simulation center. We have trained generations of leaders in the field of pediatrics. We are world leaders in medicine, surgery, and science one of the top recipients in NIH funding for pediatric research. In this building, pioneers in CAR-T therapy, mitochondrial disease, brain tumors, hyperinsulinism, and other rare diseases. Here, groundbreaking work in fetal surgery, genetics and genomics, and neurology. In our newest building, leaders in social determinants of health, clinical informatics and epidemiology, autism, trauma, and injury prevention. Our patients come from every state and 115 countries. challenges requires the best and the brightest. We are passionate about pediatrics. We are motivated to make a difference in the world and in our community. We are a team. We are CHOP. Do you 
you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. The big story on Exodus. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Hi, and welcome back to the show. I'm Sue Rocco, and I'm joined this week by Lisa Baird. Lisa is the founder of LPB Advisors, and she's also a board director And um, Lisa, I wanted to start this segment talking a little bit about your time with the National Women's Soccer League. And some may be familiar with, um, you know, what happened there and some may not. But in essence, um, you know, it was uncovered that there was very, very poor treatment of some of the um, athletes, the women athletes. And I would say that's kind of happening across the board in sports today where there's somewhat of a reckoning. Um, when you look back at that time, which was brief, knowing what you know today, the, the first question I had is, would you do anything differently? Um, and then how, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think, you, of course, you always say there are things that you could have done differently. And that is what the benefit of, you know, kind of having hindsight done. I would say I did a lot to advance um, safety and protection of players. Um, more work needed to be done. Um, when I stepped down and resigned, um, it was a time for me to not only self-reflect, but what I was really gratified about was what I saw publicly, how the Players Association and the NWSL, the league, um, which of course is the league office and the owners, really worked collaboratively together to advance. And coming off of that time, was very traumatic for everybody, but I was really quite like gratified by how, you know, they really dug in. And I, I think that's a lesson learned is like, there are times when there is a lot of public outcry and, you know, having the vision and, and the ability for that PA and the, uh, the league to come together and, and advance it was really kind of very inspiring, I think. Yeah. And would you say that um, going through that experience and then having resigned and moved on to other things, is there anything you changed in your own life um, having gone through that experience that you do differently today as, uh, you know, an executive or um, as an advisor? Um, You know, one of the things I would say, it's a very personal message for me is to all men and women who are listening. Um, there are times when you become so consumed by um, a job that you can forget your own health. And I was reminded of it as I was watching that, um, you know, that incredibly moving, um, uh, you know, piece by the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I would say there are times when I did that. And now that I am have the ability to kind of more balance my 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 work time and my time, I am facing, I am really prioritizing health. It's something you take for granted until you don't have it. And that would be, that's, I think, I would say my biggest um, thing that I would advise everybody to continually do. And how do you do that? What's part of your routine? Well, what I will tell everybody is, and, and this was something that I think I heard a lot about during the pandemic that a lot of women put off. Uh, but people put off having necessary medical care and not going to get those preventative exams and and Mm. whatever they were, dentists, doctor, mammograms. And um, I know people put that off and I know it's been easy to kind of delay that. Don't. That's my, that would be my thing that I would say, go get that, take care of your health. You know, and how fortunate are we to have the ability to go do these preventative, um, you know, checkups that- allow us to know in advance that something could be coming. Absolutely. We didn't have that. Absolutely. So, you know, now, you know, you can use a Zoom call and you could do a little bit of exercise if you want right after it. So get get at it. Um, Yeah. Yep. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about um, what you're doing today and what you've seen, you know, the, the pandemic changed the entire world. And for companies, they had to pivot and really do things differently as well. What is the greatest change you've seen um, in organizations because of COVID? Something they're doing today that they did not prior. I think, you know what, look, I think that they, when you look at what COVID did, and, and I was, I, I don't know if you know my story, I joined the league 
as the commissioner, two days later, I shut the league down for the pandemic. And then it was just like a absolute full court press to bring the the league back to competition, right? We were going to have to get out there because we were a very small kind of new, newly started league and didn't have revenue coming in. So being able to go back to live competition gave us the resources to pay the players to do the competition and to, to get back. So, you know, there was all of this, um, you know, incredible pressure, I think, in our industry in particular to get back to things that are normal. I think what I like to watch now is how companies are actually not gravitating to one way of returning to business and and dealing with their employees they're they're really doing a lot of diverse ways and i see that on my board work um you know there's a far more accommodation there's a desire to hire the best person for the job and recruit globally no matter where that person is Mm -hmm. um i'm very happy to be on the board of a company that's headquartered in malvern um in Malvern. And um, just recently, you know, we were really working hard because one of our key development software development teams was in the Ukraine and is affected by the war. Mm -hmm. But there's so much more resources um, at companies disposal to make sure that they're handling those remote workforces really well. And that was not I don't think that was people were as sensitive to it, or as capable of doing it prior to the pandemic. Do you think it's? um, How do you feel about the the virtual? work and and not being physically with your colleagues. Okay, I feel very differently than my children, all of whom work remotely. <laughs> so I'm for some kind of balance. I love being at home sometimes, but I also like being with my colleagues, being with my, my board member, my fellow board members, um, making sure I'm traveling out to the West Coast tomorrow to um, uh, meet with uh, one of the companies I'm advising. And uh, I tell my children, there's nothing like it. You're going to have to, you know, kind of figure out how to be in the office. But right now they've settled into this. I'm in the office two to three days a week and I'm at home two to three days. So, you know, who knows? Maybe that's the right, maybe that's the right formula. But I think there's nothing like being with people. Yeah. I I mean, personally, I feel the same that it's nice to have both. Anything you do kind of consistently becomes monotonous, you know? So what a nice opportunity to be able to be out and be face-to-face with people or sometimes be home. Yeah, but I think one of the things from a business standpoint that's really changed with COVID and we've seen it. So the company that I'm on the board with is called Cantaloupe. We -hmm. renamed it the year of the pandemic. It used to be called USA Technologies. We renamed it. But it's this company and people may not even know it in Philadelphia. It's headquartered in Malvern. And it's been there for 30 years, and it's been a leader in innovation and R&D in self-service commerce. Now, self-service commerce, you are seeing that absolutely explode. And yes, part of it was the pandemic, but part of it is just desire for consumers to be so empowered to own what they're doing transactionally when they're buying. And uh, here's a company we've been on the we've been on a tear lately. We just acquired another company this week, and um, we've had so much interest because self-service commerce is, you know, it's a real industry trend. And this little tell me company, what that is, Lisa. I'm not familiar with the term. So, so and some of the viewers might not be okay. So self-service commerce is everybody's going to a store or their member. Here was the first self-service commerce. It was uh, for USA Technologies now Cantaloupe. They started with a vending machine with golf balls in it because they wanted to sell golf balls at a pro shop and there was no one there to man it. So they created the first vending machine. That was their first vending machine um, instant was a golf ball. Well, now if you fast forward, not only do you see vending machines, you see things like micro markets at airports or in office buildings where there's no one there. You could just help yourself, buy it yourself. And as, as we like to say, buy it and go. Yeah. So we're really, I'm really excited to do this. And I love the fact that we have this really cool software technology company that's right headquartered in um, in greater Philadelphia. It's pretty exciting. And, and we're really thrilled. We were just um, nominated, we were just awarded the second year in a row by the Forum of Executive Women of Greater Philadelphia um, as uh, for our diversity on our board and in our executive leadership team. So I have to thank them for that honor. Yeah, that's awesome. Is honor. there an overlap of 
robotics involved with the company? Well, you know, it's what's fascinating about it. And I was at IBM for five years, so I'm a techie at heart. What's mm -hmm. really interesting is it's not so much robotics, it's artificial intelligence. And, and it's different things like tele telemetry. And let me give you a real example. Uh, Cantaloupe has always been in the vending machine business. But before, let's say, you know, your Frito-Lay or Pepsi, you have to go to the vending machine to see what to stock. And you have to bring all these cases with you. And then you have to decide to stock Coke or Pepsi or whatever. Well, we put in something called telemetry. And now what happens is you can monitor what's in all of these cooler, smart coolers and vending machines. You, you monitor it remotely you can kind of forecast what you need. And so you only send your trucks and your drivers on the road when you need to restock wow. it. Well, if you look at it, it saves gas, it saves on labor, it saves the environment. And that's where AI, uh, artificial intelligence is gonna take us because it'll become predictive. So it's it's actually pretty exciting. It's, it's absolutely where we're headed, don't you think? Okay. I mean, most supermarkets today, you walk in and you're, you're purchasing, you're self-scanning, and you're out the door. Yeah, and there are more and more things you're going to see. Um, uh, healthcare go into that. You're going to see lots of, oh, you know what? The whole infrastructure that's going out and being built around the, co the country right now with uh, EV charging, that's self-serve commas. EV charging, because you're there, you pay for it, you might want something else. So there's a whole new infrastructure being built. Mm in our country right now. It's really exciting. And, and uh, we hope cantaloupe will be part of that. Yeah, it's fascinating. And sometimes it's controversial people, you know, in thinking about the future and AI and robotics that it's putting people out of work. But my optimistic self always says, but there's new jobs, right, within um, the, you know, the innovative companies oh. that are going to be coming down the road for those people. Absolutely. Because what happens is if you're not spending it on this, you're investing in workers that will expand your market, more vending machines or more self-cars. You know, yeah, we're seeing um, quite an exciting time in this industry. And, um, you know, I think uh, I, I think it's going to be pretty exciting to see what happens because I think people don't lose their jobs. They will be put and deployed, as you say, to other um, other work because it's a growth industry. Yes. Lisa, do you miss um marketing you know you you a lot of your work was in the field of marketing which is different from what you're doing today um you know what a lot of the times when i, I you know marketing is core to my soul but i advise companies in addition to my board work um i advise companies in terms of their marketing their branding and also their okay. go-to-market strategy okay. so one of the companies that i'm advising right now um is i think i could say it but it's going to be launching a really cool and i mean i know this sounds really geeky but it's a new app um, okay. for contract workers so they can do their taxes on the go because oh. There is, look, there are lots of uh, accountants and very fancy accounting firms that are going to help very well-off people do their taxes, and every American should be doing their taxes. Well, we're developing this app, and it's called Easy C, and it helps contract workers, which is going to be the biggest segment of employment in our, our society. We help them do their taxes on the go reasonably and take advantage of tax deductions that, you know, maybe some uh, some affluent people know about because they have accountants but we're really helping that you have one unheard message hi i was calling current the influencer marketing platform but i think i just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast well anyways i was calling current because i was told they could help get my brand set up on tiktok shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So that's a marketing strategy where I'm helping a company um, develop their app. So I kind of get the chance to help a lot of people and marketing will always be first in my heart. You're in, in like the key areas, or I would say industries that really are, um, relevant and, and timely, because certainly there, there are a lot of, um, entrepreneurs as well, you know, that we've seen this rise in entrepreneurship, um, since COVID people were forced to kind of sit and reflect about their life. And a lot of people quit the big corporate They job. did. They, they chose. And that's why, if you look at the statistics from, um, the IRS, the biggest segment of workers in the future will be independent contractors wow. over a hundred million. They yeah. won't be, you know, W-2. They have to, sounds geeky, but you have to do your taxes a different way. Yeah. And, um, you know, I I love the idea that we're going to develop something for them that will help them. So look for that to launch um, next year. Okay. Tell me a little bit. We just have a couple minutes left. I wanted to talk to you about CSR and, and is that um, something you advise in companies as well? That's also something new that wasn't paid attention to years ago, but organizations are asked by the young kids today, you know, how is your company giving back? Where are you? Yeah. You know, the one, in fact, I'm actually advising a client. I can't say who it is. It's a a pretty fast growing um, client in, in uh, packaging and um, it's ESG that people are really, it's a broader kind of envelope, which CSR fits into it for sure, but it really is, what are you doing um, for the environment, for social and for governance? And if you think of that, there's a lot of exciting things going on. So I am advising this company, um, it's at the C-suite level on their ESG strategy, because um, people are really looking at, broadly speaking, how do they manage all of the complex stakeholders regarding like things that you didn't really need to do before? Um, right. Your impact in the environment, your your collective contract with with social right, which includes yes. CSR and other things, your diversity, your inclusivity, um, but also your governance. Will that change? And one of the things I um, we're exploring with this company is whether we become a public benefit company, which I think has some pros and cons, but it it actually puts into the company's governance a contract saying, here's what we will do that that is of benefit to the public. It's beyond the traditional shareholder metrics. But more and more companies are being um, graded on their ESG metrics. And Wall mm-hmm. Street, of course, is looking at it very, very, very specifically. So I see that as just continuing to grow. And, and uh, I think you're right, this next generation, they almost demand it. And mm-hmm. so I love to see younger people um, really engage in those conversations with senior leaders and companies. And I love that um, that chemistry that comes with the younger generation really driving the agenda um, with some of these companies that have been around for 50, 7,500 years. Yeah, and it's it's such I think it's just such a positive thing, you know, to be paying attention to things that matter other than just the bottom line, you know, um, of a company. Um Lastly, for a woman who might be watching the show, Lisa, what's your advice if if she's kind of at the same place you are in a career and looking to join a board? Are there things that she can do or shouldn't do? You know what? Um, Yes, it is. I would say it's one of the most rewarding jobs I've ever had. I love being on boards because you're asked to do many things, believe it or not, as a board member. But most of all, it's to help 
provide the proper governance and strategic counsel for the people that are operating the company. And it's, it's quite rewarding. And um, we had a great response um, to our announcement of our acquisition yesterday, just yesterday with Cantaloupe, but with this other company that was sold that I was on the board of Fox Racing that was sold and we had a successful exit in August. So I think it's the advisory thing. So what you want to do is I'll drill it down to something really simple to all women who want to participate in boards. Number one, become very competent in finance. It, you don't have to be an expert, but you need to be competent and really understand your way around a company's financials and understand that whether they're, you know, whatever type of company they are, really become competent in financials. Number two, if you're not on a board, look for nonprofit boards or community boards where you can start to build those muscles where you understand governance and strategy. So number two, get on a board and there's nothing like the real world experience of doing that. Um, number three, it is, I don't mean networking in the transactional sense, but look around you, talk to everybody you meet, learn from them. You will never know what you learn by talking to someone, um, just you know, picking up the phone, LinkedIn, or just talking to someone on a train next to you that you, know, you are gonna learn something. And so some of the most amazing opportunities for me have just come from, I've lifted up my head and said, what's going on? And I've been yeah. really lucky that I've been able to do that. So that's number three. Number four is, and this is something I look, talk to people that you love working with. That's what we have the ability to do on boards is be with a collegial group of people where you have common values, common interests. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing actually that's more rewarding than being a part of a collective group that's advising a company. It's not you, you are part of the collective. So look around for groups of people that could be a, a small group in your, in your, the board of education in your community or a public company board. Um, and then, mm -hmm. you know, my, my fifth one and my final one, which I tell my children is absolutely right. Thank you notes and keep people up to speed on what you've done. And the end of year is a great time to do that. You can send mm -hmm. holiday greetings, but take the time to just thank people who had a conversation with you, or maybe introduced you to someone or maybe gave you a thought that became something big. Thank them for it. That's great, great advice. Lisa, thank you so much for taking time to uh, be with me today and uh, best of luck on the latest acquisition and all the work you're going to be doing moving forward. All right. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. So bye. Stay with us. And you'll hear from Shari Morrison, our Lifestyle Watch contributor. She's up next. Action News, celebrating 50 years of AccuWeather. The heat is on. In 2010, Philadelphia had a record of 55 days at or over 90 degrees. And those scorchers, they're on the rise. In fact, 10 of the 15 hottest summers occurred in the last two decades. Thank you for always trusting us to keep you informed. You're streaming and we're streaming. Get the AccuWeather forecast and severe storm alerts 24-7 on our 6ABC streaming app. Whether you're just getting started, already well on your way, planning for your future, drafting your vision, growing toward greatness, or finding that dreams really can come true. Whatever your next steps are, we'll be right here with you, just like we have been for 150 years. Start here, grow here, stay here. Penn Community Bank, here we grow. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view that goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the wind. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. The following is a real testimonial from the father of a young injured victim. I didn't think she was going to make it. Major Perry's daughter was the victim of a horrific accident caused by someone else's negligence. If you don't find the right counselor, law firm that you're looking for, you will get lost in the wilderness. Badly injured? Call the Fritz and Bianculli Law Firm at 215-458-2222 and find out why they say, we got this. 
Do you stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. The big story on Action News tonight. Plus special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amounts of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Hello, welcome to the lifestyle segment of Women to Watch. I'm Sherry Morrison. Today I have the pleasure of introducing Kareem Rosser, author of Crossing the Line and treasurer of the nonprofit organization Work to Ride. Welcome to the show, Kareem. Hi, Sherry. Thank you. I'm, I'm honored to be on and I'm excited to talk to you today. Well, we're excited to hear all about you and Work to Ride and Crossing the Line. So this has been long awaited for all of our, all of our crew. Uh, Kareem's book, Crossing the Line, is a story about he and his brothers by blood and culture and a story and a sport that changed their lives forever. The sport is polo. Kareem is here today representing a fantastic organization founded and operated by Leslie Heiner based in the Chamonix Equestrian Center in West Philadelphia. It's approximately three miles north of the Philadelphia Zoo and bordering the neighborhood referred to as the bottom, where Kareem and many of the kids from are from who are in the Work to Ride program. In Kareem's book, he says, coming from the bottom, you had a better chance of being incarcerated or getting shot than graduating from high school. Ugh. As I read the book, I thought of David and David and Goliath, Kareem in this case, and his brothers and sisters, their resilience, courage, and how they overcame the odds. Kareem, please tell us a little bit about growing up in Philadelphia, your education, and how you ended up at the barn. Yeah, so I was uh, was born and raised in West Philadelphia. Um, <clears throat> unlike the Fresh Prince, you know, I didn't spend my time on the uh, basketball court. I was uh, at the Shimoni Stables, uh, the Work to Ride program, um, riding horses uh, and changing my life around. Um, you know, I, I grew up um, uh, just in a place known as the bottom, as I mentioned uh, in my book, which is, you know, one of the... I guess rougher neighborhoods in Philadelphia, if you will. Um, myself and uh, my five other siblings all grew up with a single mom there, and uh, it was it was quite tough. Um, but fortunately, we we found the uh, the Work to Ride program that was founded uh, by Leslie Heiner back in '94. Um, I started riding horses when I was eight. Um, joined my my two older brothers, David and Jabbar, um, where and they were out riding their bikes one afternoon from our park and uh, stumbled upon the stable and met Leslie, <clears throat> excuse me, and met Leslie uh, where, um, you know, she just started the program at the, at that time or had a few kids involved. And, um, you know, I was, I've always wanted to uh, pretty much do everything that my, my older brothers were doing. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I, I got on a horse and it's been history ever since then. <laughs> it's a, it's a great story. It's, it's, your whole book is amazing because you hit every emotional element there is. Um, I was laughing, I was crying, I was grateful, I was thankful, and I'm so proud of all of you and, and what you've done and Leslie for what she's started. Um, Leslie Heiner is actually our woman to watch today. She yeah. grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia and she was involved with horses most of her life. When she got um, older, she worked for her family's business, but it wasn't a good fit. So. Um, from what I've learned, she went out and got a job at a horse race track. And yes. then in 94, she stumbled across McCarthy Stables, which has been abandoned for quite a few years yes. by the Philadelphia police force, correct? Um, and then Leslie decided to put a business plan together to start work to ride. And she rented the stables from the city of Philadelphia. Uh, Kareem, can you please tell us a little bit about Leslie and how she operates the barn and has influenced you, your family, and, and many, many others? Yeah, no, you know, I always refer to Leslie as a saint. Um, you know, she uh, has been a huge part of Philadelphia. I think just her, her work uh, speaks for itself, um, her commitment to saving children's lives here in Philly. Um, you know, I think about, you know, what she's done for my family, uh, you know, all the opportunities she presented to myself and, and my siblings. Um, you know, as you mentioned, Leslie left her nine to five job um, to uh, actually to, to basically serve uh, inner city youth here in Philly. And, you know, she's doing that by using horses as a vehicle, um, you know, to teach kids many life lessons, um, you know, really thinking about some of the 
um, important things such as responsibility, um, you know, uh, teaching kids a lot of soft skills, um, learning how to communicate with folks, um, you know, showing up to school, um, talking about the importance of education, uh, you know, and she's doing all of this um, uh, at, a, at a facility here in, in Falmar Park in Philadelphia. Um, but this facility is not just a, just a barn full of horses. Um, I, you know, I like to think of it as really, it's a barn full of opportunities. Um, you know, we think about uh, this the polo program that we have um, that is a perennial favorite for many of the kids uh, and just the, just the overall success of, of the polo program. Um, but, you know, it's not just polo. We offer a number of different riding um, activities. Uh, but Leslie um, is, uh, uh, you know, she, she's a saint. And, you know, if we could clone people, she would be um, my first person that I would clone just uh, thinking about all the, uh, the great stuff that she's done for, for me in Philadelphia. Well, that's that's such a lovely thing to say to her. What a nice tribute. Um, Paula wasn't originally part of the program. Is that correct? I think she took all, a couple of you to watch and help groom horses at a friend's polo match. And then you came back and decided, hey, hey Leslie, we want to learn how to play polo. Yeah. So when Leslie first started the program in 94, um, you know, she was not uh, thinking about um, polo. Uh, she was just really thinking about saving kids lives. Um, you know, um, this, even before my time, really, you know, she, uh, the kids were, were showing up and just riding in mucking stalls. And uh, some of her friends she met, you know, through her days during riding, um, you know, it, you know, I invited her to come out and play polo. And at that time, the kids were just helping um, groom horses, you know, um, you know, hot walking horses and uh, kind of watching the game. But I think uh, one of her friends encouraged her to, to get the kids out there on the field and um, that led to Leslie um, eventually getting involved in the United States Polo Association, Polo Association uh, Interscholastic Intercollegiate Program, um, which, uh, uh, um, you know, houses many um, club polo teams, uh, particularly high school polo teams. So um, she, she, she got involved in that. We got involved in that. Um, and then eventually that, um, you know, I want to say, 20 years later, or sorry, maybe 15 years later, that led um, you know, to us winning our first uh, national championship. Yes, and that was a huge accomplishment for you. You had worked on that for years. Um, Leslie was key in um, getting you to move to the Valley Forge Military Academy, and you were sponsored there, and then they ended their polo program, and then you, you continued to ride with Work to Ride before you actually won that championship. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, um, you know, I, I went off to Valley Forge Military Academy in seventh grade, and I started riding there and playing polo a bit, uh, which took me away from the work to ride program, at least as far as the, the polo team goes. Um, but unfortunately, the, uh, the the polo program at Valley Forge was dissolved, was, was dissolved and, um, you know, that left me with, with work to ride. And unfortunately, um, you know, Leslie, um, you know, had a, had a, had a spot saved for me on the team. And, um, you know, my brothers and I, I went out and, um, you know, and won a national championship in 2011. Yeah. She did so many great things. I mean, while you were at Valley Forge, she, she sent you your favorite horse to, to ride while you were there, which is great. Um, yeah. There, you know, it's such a feel good story, but there's a lot of tragedy in the book and I'm not going to bring that up cause I'll start crying. Um, <laughs> but, um, it, it's just an all around great story and anybody, Anybody should, everybody should read this book because you'll learn so much about people in life. Um, but especially if you're from Philadelphia, because it's just, it's incredible what's happening right here. And a lot of people aren't aware. I wasn't aware. I knew that there was a lot of bad things going on in Philadelphia, but not to this extent. Um, so Work to Ride offers uh, a lot of uh, different programs for the kids. Its mission mm -hmm. is a nonprofit community-based prevention program that aids under-resourced urban youth through constructive activities centered on sportsmanship, equine sports, and education. As Work to Ride has evolved, Polo has become a really great vehicle to help raise money for the organization. And recently, the Work to Ride Board of Directors has launched a capital campaign to raise $10 million to support and sustain the Work to Ride mission, construct fully enclosed multi-purpose equestrian facility within the Chamonix Equestrian Center renovate the current st stabling and pastures and seed endowment to ensure sustainable growth. Can you tell us more about this campaign and the most exciting, the first Fairmount Park polo match? 
Yeah. So, you know, back in 2016, when I graduated college, I moved back to Philly. Um, you know, within a year or two, I joined the Work to Ride board. Uh, you know, we realized that we needed to figure out a way to, um, you know, think about how do we institutionalize the organization and, uh, you know, build out infrastructure and programming that was going to ensure that the organization would um, be able to sustain itself moving forward. Uh, so, you know, a couple of years ago, we launched a capital campaign to raise $10 million to construct a new uh, equestrian uh, facility that will allow us to operate year round. Um, and as you mentioned, also refurbish our current facility that we lease from Philadelphia, um, you know, for a dollar a year. And then uh, also seat an endowment so that we um, can continue to uh, operate, um, but also um, be able to sustain ourselves. Uh, so, you know, we launched it a couple of years ago in about a year and I guess over the last year and a half, um, you know, we ended the quiet phase and, um, you know, we are at $9.9 million in total commitments to date, uh, which we're re really excited about. And, you know, we're hoping that we break we break ground this uh, April uh, and begin building a new facility that's going to allow us to operate year round. Uh, but more importantly, you know, we'll have a really nice uh, uh, indoor riding facility um, and we'll be able to play polo um, year round, which, you know, will be the first for us. Uh, considering we didn't, we never had any um, uh, indoor riding facility of our own to be able to, uh, you know, ride during the during the cold winter months. Uh, so we're we're really really excited and, and thankful for you know all the people who have uh, supported us. But we know that um, you know uh, fundraising never stops. Um, we're going to continue to need funds to support the operations as as we move forward. So. You know, we want to continue to encourage people to think about us and um, and support us uh, in any way that they can. Yeah, and you had the uh, polo match. You had thousands of people that came out to watch that. That was really exciting. Do you think that they'll continue that um, in the in the upcoming years? Yeah. So this past year, we had the inaugural Philadelphia Polo Classic uh, this past September, uh, which was a huge success um, in, in my mind. And I think in the organization's mind as well. We had over 3000 people come from uh, various parts of the country to uh, participate in a, a day of two polo matches um, with, uh, you know, uh, uh, very well catered um, event as well. Um, it was really an opportunity to um, expose Philadelphia to the sport, but those who normally don't get the opportunity to participate um, in a sport that's really known as something that is exclusive and, um, you know, quite frankly, uh, lacks diversity. Uh, so, you know, we were excited to, um, you know, to have to bring that to Philadelphia and give those uh, you know people who normally wouldn't have that opportunity to participate, um, and we we will you know hopefully have it again next year. Um, you know, where this our plan is to make this an annual event. Yeah, uh, I watched it. Uh, it was it was streamed on um, the computer, and and I did watch it, and it was really a great event and well done. So Thank I'm you. I'm excited for it to happen again, and and I and I will be there next year. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You have some great sponsors, but there's a lot to do. Uh, yeah. I know Mars is sponsoring and going to be uh, providing the fee. They have an equine. I mean, Mars, everybody thinks of candy, but they actually have an equestrian uh, line of foods and, and goods that they um, yes. produce and sell. So that's awesome. But you, you have a lot of needs that uh, people should get involved with. You have uh, you need volunteers down at the barn. You need teachers down at the barn. You need everything. I know all of the clothes were donated. You talk about in the book, you talk about how kids show up in their boots with, you know, duct tape around them. And, um, you know, it's you weren't the look that people were accustomed to seeing at polo matches. So it was probably a little uncomfortable fitting in, but that never seemed to be what happened once you got there and got on your horses? I mean, people, you, you lost a lot in the beginning, but you, you gained a lot of respect from a lot of really very elite people in, not just in the horse world, but just yeah. in, in the world and travel all over the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, we've been very fortunate. Um, you know, some of the pe people that's personally come into my life, some of the people that, you know, has, has started, you know, that's been supporting the organization since, uh, since inception, um, you know, new folks who've just learned about us since my book is re re was released. Um, you know, I know people 
been seeing us in the media uh, over this last year as well. Um, you know, everyone knows that there uh, it takes a village really to um, be able to uh, have a program like ours. Uh, and, and, you know, that we will continue to need, um, you know, people's folks, uh, people's support, um, you know, over over time. And so we're very, very thankful and grateful for the folks that we have in our corner. Well, um, they're, they're, and what are, do you think are the biggest needs that people, it's easy for people to get involved with right now? I mean, I think, you know, again, it, it's always nice when folks are able to, uh, you know, make a monetary contribution. Uh, but, you know, we, we're always in need of horse equipment, um, you know, need of, you know, uh, people who can, you know, spend their their time, um, you know, and as far as coming help tutor kids, you know, education is a huge part of the organization, um, you know, looking for volunteers to help with some of the um, labor that is required around the facility, uh, you know, folks who may be able to come assist, assist and help in the office. So, I mean, there are a number of, of, of opportunities for people to get involved. Um, so we're, we're always welcoming volunteers. And, and I think you're looking to hopefully expand this program to other places in the country. Yeah, ideally, we would love to be able to, um, you know, uh, uh, take this model and replicate it in other places uh, around the country because there's always uh, um, interest from uh, other people um, from around the country who, who calls and ask if, you know, they could, if we could help them start something similar um, in their cities. And um, I know after we are able to uh, build our new infrastructure here and, um, you know, take care of ourselves here in Philadelphia, we would love to be able to replicate this and, and uh, hopefully help some other, um, you know, at-risk youth and, uh, you know, other underserved uh, areas around the country. Well, I, I think that's a no-brainer. I think you, you are on it and you will be successful with all of those uh, ideas and and um, just progress in the next few years. Kareem, we're out of time. I'm so sorry. Uh, everything you have to talk about is so interesting, but I really appreciate your time and sharing your story. Um, you'll come back and join us sometime again. Hopefully, uh, we'll have some news about a, the next polo match. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you, Cher. I appreciate you having me on, um, allowing me to continue to share the, you know, the work to ride story and our mission and what we're doing. And hopefully, uh, those who are watching, um, you know, reach out to figure out, you know, how they can get involved, um, or support your organization in whatever way they can. No, thank you. If you're interested in purchasing Cream's book, this is what it looks like. Uh, it's available on Amazon.com. Cream does donate a portion of the proceeds to work to ride. I believe you said 50%, which is quite generous. For more information about Work to Ride, how to make donations, dollars, courses, equipment, how to volunteer, how to sponsor, see what events are going on, go to www.worktoride.com. Thank you again for joining the show. Sue will be right back after the commercial break. Ladies, keep living your dreams. Action News, celebrating 50 years of AccuWeather. The heat is on. In 2010, Philadelphia had a record of 55 days at or over 90 degrees. And those scorchers, they're on the rise. In fact, 10 of the 15 hottest summers occurred in the last two decades. Thank you for always trusting us to keep you informed. You're streaming and we're streaming. Get the AccuWeather forecast and severe storm alerts 24-7 on our 6ABC streaming app. Whether you're just getting started, already well on your way, planning for your future, drafting your vision, growing toward greatness, or finding that dreams really can come true. Whatever your next steps are, we'll be right here with you, just like we have been for 150 years. Start here, grow here, stay here. Penn Community Bank, here we grow. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view. It goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub. And in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the wind. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. 
The following is a real testimonial from the father of a young injured victim. I didn't think she was going to make it. Major Perry's daughter was the victim of a horrific accident caused by someone else's negligence. If you don't find the right counselor, law firm that you're looking for, you will get lost in the wilderness. Badly injured? Call the Fritz and Bianculli Law Firm at 215-458-2222 and find out why they say, we got this. Do you stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. The big story on Action News tonight. Plus special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amounts of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Hi, and welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for joining me this week. Next week, I'll be joined by Lori Carter, and Lori is the Dean of Arts and Humanities at Susquehanna University. Thank you so much to Tone and Kateri, as always, our producers, for doing such a great job. And stay with us at the end of the uh, show. You'll hear from Carol Eggert, our Military Watch contributor from Comcast NBC Universal. Have a great week, everyone. Now, the women to watch, military watch. On December 7, 1941, President Roosevelt labeled it a date which will live in infamy. Hi, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. The accuracy of Roosevelt's prediction can't be understated because for the last 81 years, Americans have continued to recognize the event that brought the United States into World War II forever changing our nation's significance and influence worldwide. A little over two weeks ago, machinist mate First Class Keith Tipsward remains were reunited and buried alongside his parents in his hometown of Beecher City, Illinois. At just the age of 27, he was killed while serving on the battleship USS West Virginia during the attack on Pearl Harbor. For over 80 years, Tipsward's remains remained unidentified and buried at the National Memorial Cemetery on the Pacific. It was because of the dogged determination of his family and the Defense POW-MIA Accounting Agency that his remains were eventually identified through DNA testing. Like Tipsward's family, government agencies, volunteers, and many others, the memory of what those young men and women endured will never be forgotten. So, this Wednesday, December 7th, I urge you all to take a moment to remember those at Pearl Harbor and the over 400,000 U.S. servicemen and women who made the ultimate sacrifice during World War II. For me, they forever will be the greatest generation. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.